yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Let's have another! Darcy O'Driscoll through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, stamp and score! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Will Slattery and after, let's say, an eventful week last week, Luke, we're going back to maybe a little more rugby focused. Uh, have you survived your celebrity debt match with Paul Kimmage? I'd say your Twitter <laughs> mentions were just explosive for about three or four days afterwards. Uh, yeah, it was fairly explosive. Uh, actually, the weekend, it was kind of unusual. Um, it felt like after a weekend where maybe it scored a, a, you know, a really good try and a good win. Uh, like the amount of people that came up to saying, you know, whatever you know, whatever they're saying doesn't really matter. Um, it's done now. I didn't want the show to be about that kind of stuff. We had Peter Mahoney on the show. Um, we had to use that, you know, that stuff on Monday, uh, which is di- disappointing because Peter's a guy who's a Lions captain. He's Munster captain. He had a lot of interesting things to say. He's a very funny guy. And the idea of the show as well is to give insight into people like that and through, I suppose, the little bit of access that, that I have to them. So. Um, hopefully we can go back that that direction with with a very interesting guest and and I think people who are into their sports and who are into kind of where tech uh, technology is is going in sports will be really interested to hear what what Stevie Smith has to say and and then obviously we have good old Rory as well with the the inside track as always yeah we have Stephen Smith coming up later he runs Kitman Labs and former head of uh, rehabilitation and uh, S&C coach with Leinster but we're also joined as Luke mentioned by Rory O'Connor Irish independent rugby correspondent did I take your intro no by all means you're you're quite co-presenter co-presenter Rory last time we talked to you I think we were interrupting your steak dinner in South Africa so apologies for that Um, he was in the middle of taking one of those little umbrellas out of his his cocktail (laughs) glass yeah sorry about that Rory my steak got cold while I was waiting (laughs) listening to Luke so you're back on home soil now obviously the season's kind of finally kicking into gear you have Leinster versus Munster this week Weekend. It doesn't seem to though maybe have the hype it once did of previous years. Like it's a two PM kickoff. The last couple of fixtures between the sides haven't been brilliant with maybe weekend teams being played. How, how have you kind of ranked the atmosphere, or is there a feeling in the air that this is the big game, or how do you, how do you feel about it? It's somewhere, but I think what this fixture needs is another European knockout game to kind of reignite it. So these Pro Fourteen games, they're 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 great on in their own right. Like forty two thousand tickets are sold. It'll be a good occasion, but at the end of the day. The real stuff happens next week, and and you know, look, the players will be very serious about it. The fans will will want to win it, but if they beat Montpellier and Cast next week, it'll quickly be forgotten. You know, these bragging rights are important, but at the end of the day, it's it's just about four or five points. And within the setups, I've been talking to players from both setups this week. It's it's it, it's a massive focus. It's uh, and, and Luke, you'll know this from your own your own time. Um, like they, they all want to win this game. It's it's still as important, but I think the fact that there's no Felipe Contepomi, a kind of a pantomime <laughs> villain going around the place, you know, stoking up the fires of it. Mm. The fact that there's just no recent history in Europe. There's not much needle between the teams anymore. No, they seem to all get on very well. Like yeah, whatever gets on well behind the scenes. I don't know if that was ever a case, especially when you're all pulling in the same directions. Obviously, we had Felipe from a different country, and there was obviously. He'd had some bad experiences with Munster crowds and stuff, giving him a bit of a hard time and some of the Munster players in big matches where maybe he hadn't done himself justice and uh, he'd been on the wrong side of a few wins. So he was a, maybe a bit niggly. But I suppose, you know, I still feel like it's a huge fixture. I know Rory alluded to that with the, with the uh, I suppose, the amount of people that are going to the game. Um, and maybe there isn't as much niggle publicly. I can absolutely assure you that behind closed doors, there, there definitely is a bit of niggle. Yeah. And I think... 
you know, one of the things, one of the subplots, I suppose, is these play these games play a huge part in who gets selected for November. And there's loads of really interesting guys who I think have an opportunity to, to get into the, that, well, Joe Schmidt's plans, absolutely, definitely, anyway, um, who are playing in this game. And I think with the Lions coming back as well, it adds a little bit more to the fixture. And um, I still think it's a huge one. I'm really excited oh, about it. Are it's you, huge, but I think sometimes yeah. the, the two teams bring out the worst in each other in that it, there's, it's, they take it so seriously. And it's so early in the season, there, there's no cohesion yet between, you know, mm. neither team has really found their rhythm. Yeah. It's taken, it's going to take another week or two. They need to peak for Montpellier and, and Cash that they want to get on their way by getting a win this week. The win is all, the result and the momentum you get from that result is almost the most important thing. And also, as you said, like you've two back rows fighting for our international spots. No one's give away give away anything. And sometimes you just maybe don't risk that pass that's just going to open up the defence. It, oh, yeah, it, yeah. it can be decided on one moment the quality in 79 minutes of absolute slugfest. And that, that's sometimes how this game ends up. And that, that's possibly why it hasn't, kind of capture the imagination. It's still got 42,000 people. It's the biggest game in, rugby game in Europe this weekend. So I think it, like, it's something to look forward to. It just maybe needs something. It could do it a classic. It could do it a really entertaining game. But unfortunately, this game never tends to be a classic. It always ends up being a, you know, a real struggle. Yeah, yeah, Rory's alluded to the how the teams probably have one eye on the Montpellier and the Cast game next weekend. Owen Redden said something on Monday on News Talk that, that kind of interested me. He said that this is the worst possible preparation for Europe it's often held up as the best possible preparation. You're playing your biggest rivals. You get a good tune-up beforehand. But he said that you have so much focus on Munster and your big rivals that you're kind of, you only then have a few days to switch on into European mode and then attack the next challenge. But what did you find when you were playing? I kind of feel that sometimes it depends. And I think when I say that, I mean... Who you're playing in Europe. Well, there is a bit of that. No, but I think it's actually the day. Sometimes you have a Friday fixture and then you're saying, geez, we put so much into this fixture that we've got a short turnaround. I always felt that there was a week or eight days that... It wasn't really much of an issue, and I actually kind of liked having a big game before we had a bit of, you know, you got especially at the start of the season, you got to feel a bit of that extra pressure, and uh, you got to play against guys who were really up for which what which is what you'll be facing the weekend after. And I always thought it was great preparation, but you know, look, it was very interesting. I actually listened to to a bit of Owen Red, and I think Gavin Kumiski was on with him as well. And I suppose the reason I was, I, I you know, I was possibly not tackling Rory on that but it feels like in some corners I think Gav also was of the impression that there wasn't as much nickel involved in, in the in the in the fixture as maybe there had been previously um, and I kind of think it's kind of odd I suppose I, I've always thought they're building up the fixture like I mean this is like you said it's the biggest fixture in well, Europe well half the time they've played weekend teams and like I went to that game on Stevens Day and it was awful I completely Christmas, agree yeah, with you look, I, and to be honest with you that, that actually brings a, a bigger issue for me in, in terms of Pro 14 I think like, you know, while they're trying to get the South African teams involved, and I think it's a good idea. You see the Cheetahs now, look, the, you know, the Kings are, are struggling. There's no doubt about that. But the Cheetahs are going to be competitive down there. And we said that, that, that they were going to do that. They were going to be competitive. They were going to be tough, especially especially at altitude. But the big issue for me with the league is you've got to get guys, to, the, the best players, to be playing week in, week out. You look at the Premiership, look at top 14. You want to rest guys. You definitely do. And I think they probably have gone too far the other way. But we have to have, you can't have a, a fixture where uh, there's a Leinster-Munster game, there's 26,000 people in Thoman Park, and Leinster are bringing down a weakened team. Like, that's the big issue for yeah. me A Pro 14 need to address. If they want this, you know, if they want sponsors to come on board, if they want there to be a buzz and a hype about big fixtures, you can't have that. And I couldn't agree with you more, Well, and I think it's, there's a bigger issue with, this, with the kind of selections for some of these things, these, these big matches, than... Um, you know, trying to get extra teams in from different countries. I think that's the big issue that the Pro 14 need to well, face up to. A 2pm start is ludicrous as well. I won't get into it too much, but it's, it's just terrible for You've fans. only just had your first point, Will. I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking of, I guess. But uh, we'll, we'll move on to the teams themselves, Rory. Obviously, we're down in South Africa. The Cheetahs gave Leinster a thorough pumping. Now, obviously, they didn't have their Lions players. They were kind of integrated last weekend. But they didn't look that cohesive either. So what kind of performance are you expecting from Leinster? I think they'll they, they'll back their pack. I think Munster are a little light in the tight five this season after Dunnick Ryan um, has left. John Klein's out injured, so you look at the the, the, the standard of player in the, in the Leinster tight five, and and you think that's probably an area of strength. You, you look at the back row players that they can they can roll off the back of the scrum, and if they give themselves a platform, and they've got the best out half in Europe, so. I think they'll try and tighten it up. I don't see Leinster being really, really creative. Uh, I think Robbie Henshaw's first game back, Rory O'Loughlin's probably going to be beside him. You know, that's a pairing that probably haven't played played together an awful lot. And I just do think the Leinster backline, Joey Carberry probably aside, is lacking a little bit of spark in the absence of, of you know, Gary Ringrose was such a game-breaker for them last season. So I think they're going to keep it tight. As the preeminent rugby journalist in Ireland when it comes to breaking news, Rory, uh, you know, the James Lowe thing... 
I say it's very frustrating for Leinster fans that they signed up this big marquee player. They probably saw him run right for the Chiefs. And then when the season starts, they're looking around, where is he? He's obviously playing Mitre 10 and will be until the end of that tournament. Like, was there any way Leinster could have put their foot down there? You know, they're paying big money for this guy and got him to come up. For I don't stuff. think so. I, like, I think that was just part of the deal. That's always the deal. I mean, um, it was the same when CJ Stander arrived. All these guys have to finish off their contract, contractual commitments. So, And I mean, they're, they're unlucky with injuries. I mean, you've got Rob Kearney out. You've got Gary Ringrose out. Um, Eason Nassi was out. Like, he, like Eason will be a huge player he's this week. Loss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think he calms down that back line. He, he's the guy that brings that little bit of spark that, that Rory's talking about. He can do it all. He can put someone into space or he can create it himself. And I think... A lot of what Issa does so well and why he's going to be so missed in this kind of fixture is he makes things easier for other players outside him. And for someone like Johnny Sexton, who plays the ball, and you can kind of see Johnny plays on the line very flat. What's really important for him is that guys are in good positions either side of him. That makes his job way easier. And Issa is one of those guys for this team. So there will be challenges there for them. And that, I think Rory's right. I think there's a, you know, they'll have a little bit of inexperience there. Robbie, you know, while he's been unbelievable, and in fairness, he's a guy that always kind of fronts up, even if he yeah. comes back. You don't want to heap too much pressure on a guy coming back from a very serious injury too quickly. But, you know, I suppose he does have to get playing, you know, well quickly because there's a lot of competition now. Bundy Aki coming into the reckoning possibly soon. He needs to, you know, be playing well and hit the ground running for this team to do well. Yeah. So, look at the Leinster back row. Jack Conan, Jordy Murphy, Dan Levy, Reese Rook, Josh van der Fleer. Could be missing one or two stars as well. Uh, does they off the top of my head? Who do you think would be the eight, seven and six to start uh, with? I'd say, I think Levy's out, so I I don't know. For, I, I, it, it's a tough one. I think Josh van der Fleer did media yesterday, which which suggests he's going to play. I think we might see Shawnee six, uh, van der Fleer seven and Conan eight, but... Um, you know, will Rook be covering second round on the bench? Do you think, or will, uh, he could, he yeah. could do. I mean, he gives you that option. I mean, he's a powerhouse, and he, you could potentially just put him out there and mark CJ Stander. I'm not sure, but um, like I think it's going to be O'Donnell, uh, Omani O'Donnell, a Stander for for Munster. That's pretty, yeah, but that's pretty that's clear, stone, and that's yeah. a pretty, that's a pretty, you know. But if you stop Stander, you do, you go a long way to stopping Munster. So I wonder will Van der Fleer kind of, you know, basically follow, follow Stander around, try and take him out with a couple of chop tackles stuff like that. It's interesting. I don't know. What your it's perspective hard to know. It. Yeah, I mean, I think with Pete playing. And, uh, you know, I just think he adds such a big dimension to any pack he plays, yeah. and he's such a good, he's such a thread on line out as well. And off the back of that, possibly, I might think, you know, I, I personally think they might go with Shawnee and Reese. And Reese had a huge game very quietly last week. He's, is, you know, he was, uh, well, I thought anyway, I actually thought he carried an incredible amount of ball. And listen, not always for big gain, but he's a guy they rely on. He's a leader in there. He's captain Leinster a few times in a big match like this. Yeah, I see what you're saying about Josh. His tackle stats are incredible. But I think Reese might give you that little bit extra. And I suppose in the line-out as well, he's a good option there. And that possibly off the back of that, just possibly with the Pete O'Mahony factor in the line-out, they may go with Reese in the background and give themselves another option. I just think with Reese, they, they love him against French teams because he has that physical power. Mm. I think they might almost keep him on ice for Montpellier. Just mm. rotate him out this week, bring Josh in for a bit of pace and then bring him back to match that French power next week. I just wonder, is he thinking... Because he has the yeah, luxury. Look, I can see thinking. arguments for both sides, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, but I mean, the yeah. rate, I mean, we talked about Ireland, Ireland stuff. Apparently, like they, they raved about Reese Ruddock's performances in the summer. I mean, I think his performance as Ireland captain, you know, really went down well with the. And I think he's a guy, he's a bit of a, like, he's obviously got a, a 17 or 18 caps at this stage, but like, you know, he's an outside bet for, a, for you know, a big role in November that people probably aren't seeing coming. And another person, possibly Jack Conan, who had a very good summer, has had a good start to the season. He's obviously going up, possibly against CJ Stander, Battle of the Number Eights. If you are looking for that bit of need, Surely it'll come in the back row. Do you see Conan maybe having a legitimate chance of, of getting into the, the team for the autumn test? He's all the talent to do it. I think CJ is probably the front runner at the moment with Jamie being out. Um, you know, I think he's a guy that they like. He's a leader himself. Um, and uh, yeah, look, he's a really talented guy. I think he's probably coming up against two Lions, in, in or three Lions, sorry, with, with Sean O'Brien, Pino Manny and CJ Stander. So the odds are stacked against him um, to, to, to start the test matches. But who's to rule him out? I mean, he's a guy who can really light up a fixture. He's a guy who can get you a couple of tries. So his name will be in the headlines. He can be a hard guy to leave out because inevitably if the team plays well and he plays well, he always seems to be the guy making big breaks or making big tackles or scoring a try or two, as you saw last year against Wasps. You know, So he's definitely the, a coming force. Whether he gets in the team or not, I don't know. And he'll have some competition in terms of versatility. Although he can play six, which he showed last year. I could see himself and Reese maybe duking it out for, for, for a bench spot possibly at the moment. Rory, just moving on to Munster as well. I, I know you were down there today talking to, to a few of their players. Um, the Rossi's Erasmus thing has been has been very strange to me. Now, all the players have said the right thing. So has Rossi, how it's not a distraction, how it, it's not bothering them at all. 
But I don't see how it possibly couldn't negatively impact the performance. All this uncertainty with the Johan van Grand stuff, and then could see it coming out and rubbishing that. Like, in your opinion, what sort of impact could it have on the team in the next couple of weeks? I, I don't think... Uh, it's hard to know. Look, you, you don't buy that they're not getting their heads turned uh, completely. They're obviously keeping an eye on it. I, I interviewed Conor Murray today for Saturday's paper, and, and he was saying he'd just come from, from a, meet, a senior players meeting with Gareth Fitzgerald, the CEO. So I get the impression they're being kept in the loop, that they know what's going on and who's coming in. And I think there's a strong enough leadership group there who are all around the 27, 28, 29 group, who've been around for a long time and won very little. And they're not going to have their success derailed by a change from above. So, like, if, if Van Grand comes in and takes over from Razi Rasmus, which is what we're expecting to happen now, he's hardly going to, you know, start completely afresh in the middle of the season. He's just going to keep implementing the plans and tweaking the plans that Jock Nienabauer and, and Razi Rasmus leave behind. I mean, it'd be crazy to come in mid-season and start doing something new like that. That just wouldn't make any sense. So it's going to be difficult. We don't know what the new man's going to be like, but I think there's a strong player group and a strong um, there's a strong base to work with that they're going to basically keep going through. And, and, and the new coach will maintain that until the end of the season and then implement their new their new stuff You know, for, for the for following year. Look, it's going to be disruptive, no, no doubt. There's, there's, a, there's going to be a new voice. But I, the impression I get from talking to Peter Armani at the European launch and listening to him on the show you know, and from talking to Connor today is that they're like determined that they're just not going to let let it happen. Now they're experienced, they they know the score. Maybe some of the younger players might, you know, have their lads who have contracts coming well, up. Like, so that's going to be disruptive situation though, Luke. From a player's perspective, like the closest maybe for your career was when it was announced Michael Checa was leaving at the end of the season, and maybe there were a few weeks before we knew Schmidt was taking over. But how how would you have dealt with it? Or how do you imagine? It well, I think, look, your job doesn't change day to day. I mean, the, the really the the hard thing can be if there's a big change mid season in terms of what we're thinking, you know, what we're trying to do in the pitch. That's the challenging stuff from your perspective. There's obviously going to be difficulties. Different coaches see different players in different roles. That's a challenge as well, but you won't know that till you're there. And every day, it, you're, you know, your schedule is there. You're going to, all you're trying to do is improve yourself all the time. And that's what you should be doing if you're not doing it. Um, and I think that won't change for the guys. What might, like, what might be difficult is whether he, he feels like he's been in, he'd probably have been in the setup. And it sounds like a good idea to me. I think Rassi doesn't sound like he's going to be too precious about having him in early, which I think is good and it should help with the disruption. Um, but it's whether he feels like when he comes in, oh, I'm not so sure of that. I don't, I can't change that until he come in. Um, and he actually tries to implement it mid-season. That could be a challenge for him. I think, you know, if you're coming in halfway through the season, it's slowly, slowly uh, with the implementation of new ideas. You can't change things too. And you don't want to rock the boat unless things, of course, are going very badly at that point. And yeah. you say, look, we There's actually no need time. a change. There isn't enough t- time to implement new ideas. Now, it depends on, uh, they might give him a bit of, because, I mean, at the end of the day, Rassi isn't going to be judged on this season with Munster no. so he might say look if you have some ideas let's try and implement them now we'll do it slowly and I'll help you uh, on the process um, but I think Rory made a really good point they have a really good senior player group I know the guys personally um, and I think they'll be hungry for a bit of success and I think they'll be hungry to get the guy in and make it as easy as possible for him with the player group and off the back of that I expect them to deal with it well even though it definitely I, I do agree it is a challenge mid-season to make a change like that there's another, obviously, uh, provincial derby this weekend. Ulster, Connacht tomorrow night, Rory. Ulster have been going very well. Four wins out of four. Go to Zebra with a pretty close to full-strength team and then lose to Zebra, which is a fairly disastrous result. Uh, what do you think went wrong for them or, or how do you think they ended up slipping up there? Well, just at the at the launch the other day, the last case was talking about, I think it was something like 28 uh, unforced errors. You know, like they're, they were their own worst enemies. And I think Zebra have improved this year. I think both Italian teams are, are a bit better. I feel guilty for making a joke about them in week one. About, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's, a, it's it, they've well earned the, yeah, the, the ridicule yeah. over the years, but no, they, like I think Ulster would like obviously obviously like it's a it's a terrible result. Like there's no oh, no doubt yeah, it. But I mean the week before uh, Munster, Leinster beat Munster in 2011, Joe Schmidt's first season, they lost in, in Treviso, and, and it, it was like happen. three of each out of four. I actually don't know. I don't want to claim responsibility <laughs> for that either. Um, no, it can't happen. And, and, they, and they came back, they beat Munster that week and went on to win the, the Heineken Cup. Look, I'm not saying Ulster are going to win the Heineken Cup, but look, freak results do happen. Um, I think their, their plane was delayed. They got in late. There was all sorts of like, little things happened that maybe threw them off the rhythm. They, they, they'll back themselves to go and be Connacht this, this Friday night. I think um, I think Connacht are having a pretty they poor They look like they're having season. a bit of a struggle, don't they? Just yeah. not, not able to get things going. Um, you know, I think Kieran Keane... Did you see his interview on Sky Sports? It looks a little bit odd, yeah. It reminded me of a Brendan Venter kind of interview. Just really, really uncomfortable and odd. Um, and I think that's not going to make things easy for him. He has to learn. I think, you know, a guy who I liked a huge amount, but Matt O'Connor had a, had a similar kind of stuff. He had a bad relationship with the media. And I think... 
those kind of things don't help you. You need to engage um, while the media, especially when you're inside a setup, the view is always that these guys can't really help us. They can only take away from us. It's actually wrong. If you're if you're struggling and you engage and you're honest um, about how things are, you know, how you feel things are going or where you need to improve, um, dialogue, keep a dialogue open. Even if people aren't writing nice things about you on the weekend, you need to engage. I tell you, things will only get worse and you, uh, for you if people outside who are writing about you or who are speaking about you get worse. Look, he probably has a different view on it to me, but that would be my view. I think you can only you only make things more damaging for yourself if you don't engage. And it looks like they're just in a little bit of a rut at the moment That's to me. The third week of the season, no one's written anything yet. Like I mean, no one, <laughs> yeah. no one, like that, the All Ireland final was on that weekend. Like it wasn't as if yeah. the, the, uh, the it's focus not, it's had switched that he didn't on the engage, rugby. Rory, I can only assume that he feels like you know. Obviously, I, he's pissed off. He I think work. he was just sick. They, they took the lead with I don't know, like seventy seven minutes, and they given it right yeah. back in seventy eight. Mm. Yeah, like no, you're right. I mean, uh, you need it, to engage. Though, you don't you? You just need to answer the questions. Yes, I can of course, we're disappointed. Of course, like yeah. I mean, look, Graham Simmons. <laughs> Graham questions Simmons are a bit odd sometimes. He was but an app, I don't know. I don't know how critical like him. He was an absolute tit. Like the questions were ridiculous. Like, I, I, I think Graham. Well, he can. Well, he's kind of edgy sometimes. I like him a lot, actually. To be honest, I think he gets like he, he's he. You know, I th- I'd say his job at times can be to be quite lighthearted and to come at it from slightly different angles. And I think he does that really well. But it can throw some people off. And if you're supposed, if you're not in the mood for it. Just you know, maybe it is very difficult. Just answer the questions. I mean, he didn't show up at the so European well. Champions Cup or Challenge Cup launch on Monday either. He sent Nigel Carroll in at that late, short notice. You know, you got to front up. You, you're yeah. you're the front of house. You're the manager. You, even if you're if you're not feeling up to it, you, you dust yourself down. You have a word with yourself and you answer the questions. You, things you are going well. What, this is how exude, you portray the club. Exude calmness. Yeah. We're under things are under control. You need to put out a good message. They were better um, against Scarlet, though. I mean, that was a bit of a cracker. And, yeah, and they did play a lot and of they're good actually stuff. a quality team. And, really and I think you know it, it probably speaks to this performance as well. That Ulster actually had a great win against them, them up at homes, and and they're they look like they're in a good place, Scarlet. So I think they should challenge again. But you know, I think. You know, I would worry about Connacht just a little bit. There's been a little bit of turnover with Pat Lamb. I know they were disappointed about that. Um, I just think he looks a little bit uncomfortable in the role f- at the moment for me. And I just think he needs to engage a little bit better. Yeah, I was going to say, because before that Zebra loss, Ulster had started so well. They'd taken that big scalp against Scarlet. You know, they obviously they lost Ruben Pinar, but John Cooney's been playing quite well for them as well. Um, you know, they play Wasps next Friday at, at Ravenhill. That's pretty much a must-win, Rory, already in the Champions Cup. If they lose that game, it'll be a pretty big struggle to get out of that group. It will be, but that their pool is is probably of the three Irish teams that probably fancy their chances a bit, and and it's very, particularly if they can get it, get ahead of Wasps in the first game, they, they went they, they kind of they started slowly last year and never recovered, so they they need Coatsia to to like not have a big another knee injury. I mean, the <laughs> oh, fact that he's going man, for scans yeah. that's not good news. <laughs> Um, like that's that's it's so he's so good. The few times we've actually seen him, he's been so good. Um, that's a real concern that he's going for more scans and and you know that they need that bit of go forward because they're tight five a little like Munster's a little bit underpowered and, and he gives them so much. So um, I could see them coming out of that pool though. I mean, it's been a couple of years, but I, I think they've they've got a reasonable draw. So I think they 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 if they can get off to that good start, La Rochelle are newcomers. They played them away in the second game. You know that's not an insurmountable task either. Suddenly they could be looking good, and I think they'll. I think Connacht can recover actually. To just go back to Connacht, like they've got ch- two Challenge Cup game, game, their their pool, everyone's struggling, so they can go off, they can rotate, they can just build away from the focus because I mean no one will be paying that much attention to them in the Challenge Cup apart from their own fans, so they'll have a little bit of time to build. And it's a good way for them potentially to get back into the Champions Cup if the league doesn't go very yeah, well. Sure. Yeah. From a Connacht perspective, they've lost some of the key men that won them the Pro 12, like Ali Muldowney, AJ McGinty, Robbie Henshaw, obviously. But there's still a nucleus of players there who performed really well two years ago. Like, do you think Kieran Keane can get that level of performance back up? I think so. He's got a couple of very young, kind of uh, exciting guys. I'm, I'm a big fan of Keane Kelleher. He's just got to stay, I suppose, injury-free. He's very exciting with ball in hand. Um, he's still, he, you can really build around a guy like Bundy Key, especially off set piece. Um, as long as you can win it there. I think Muldowney looks like a guy who they've struggled without. Yeah. Um, they haven't really been able to replace him. And, and it looks like, um, you know, that that probably falls, um, you know, on a couple of the guys to to, to take the onus there. Because he His was a guy... set was ridiculous. Ah, it was unbelievable, you know. And he was actually making really good decisions under a lot of pressure that made it really difficult to defend against him. And I think they're just looking for one or two guys. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm thinking of Delan or one of these guys to probably step up and take yeah. that role on. Uh, um, uh, but it will take confidence from above and it goes back to the message. You've got to exude calm uh, in those pressurised... You know, Leinster and, and Joe Schmidt got off to a very tough start, but he dealt with that really well and he was always very open and, and uh, forthcoming. Um, and I think guys, like guys, will read everything. So really important that he does that and, and starts to engage. In personal opinion. Yeah. What's it like when a new coach comes in and the start doesn't go well? You got to. Like, I, I think. What do you, you remember from that time? Well, I remember being at training sessions and thinking 
this guy is really, really good. Like I am learning, like the pace we were, everyone was learning was incredible. So we knew that as long as we were able to, you know, implement some of these things, we knew it would go right eventually. We just knew this guy needed to have the time, but he got off to an absolute stinker. And uh, George Cook, I'm pretty George sure on RT, said he should get Absolutely. sacked after three games. Well, that guy has said so many things and come back from the brink. It doesn't matter what he says, to be honest, but I agree, he did say that. Um, and there was a bit of pressure building after what was a very successful tenure under under Michael Checa, but it was easy for the player group to, to gather around Joe because we saw what was going on day to day. Now, we don't know what's going on day to day down there, um, but it's very important that everyone bands together down there and, and that they, I suppose, try and they just need a, a result. And if this guy is any good, uh, they should be able to build on what is a good player group and a group that has tasted a bit of success. So they should be able to do well. Yeah, Rory, another thing I wanted to get your guys' opinions on was, this was we, we kind of talk down the Pro 14 sometimes. But to be fair to the Italian teams, they've had made a really good start this year. Two wins apiece and neither of them have been wins against each other, which usually is the case. Uh, is this Conor O'Shea's trickle-down effect or is it just that the, the, the teams have just gotten off the better starts and they're just going about things a bit differently? Um, well, Kieran Crowley, a New Zealander, is in, in charge of Chorizo, was in Dublin on Monday and he was talking about how O'Shea is kind of overseeing it a little bit. You know, he's he was involved in both pre-seasons. I think they're working together. The coaches are sharing information. Uh, I met the Zebra players, as I said to you, I was on my way over to, um, to Johannesburg that time and they were raving about Michael Bradley. So obviously he's having a positive positive impact on things as well. So um, Steve Abood is doing good work behind the scenes. So, look, it, it seems to be a general uplift. Whether it's it's going to materialise in anything long term, it's, I think it's very very early to say. I mean, they, they, they seem to be able to drop their heads pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, look, the proof will be in the pudding when November, see how Italy get on. Yeah. But even they like the two teams between them have beaten the Ospreys, Ulster and Edinburgh. Like, I, very rarely would they take those kind of scalps. So it's a huge positive for the league. Oh, no, it absolutely is. And we need them to be competitive. They need to be competitive as well. Uh, I mean, there was some talk of, of teams breaking away and, and, and not, you know, being involved in, in, in this at that kind of level in, the, in, in Pro 14. Crazy talk. They need to be involved. And Italy are a big rugby playing nation. They've been struggling for numbers the last couple of years. But a bit of success in there. You get the fans back into the stadium um, to watch the games. Young kids are coming. They're, you know, getting involved in mini rugby. Things can change very quickly, and I think if you know they do have guys who have experience at building. You know, obviously, you know, um, you know, Conor O'Shea has huge experience in terms of building young talent and getting them through the system. And, and I think that's probably why they, aside from you know his bit of success with, with Quinns, um, that's probably a big reason why they wanted him there is to, to set up these things so they can you know funnel the young talent they have there into the national team to make them competitive. Um, and it's good to see that he was involved. Um, you know, a little bit hands-on with, with the pre-seasons. That's going to be really important for him to get a... I think you need to build from the ground. Joe Schmidt does it all the time. He would have coached guys like Pat Lamb into those roles. Uh, he would give... But he's you know, basically like the director of rugby of both teams yeah. and the, the Italian national like team. A, it's a fairly all-encompassing role. No, it is. But I, I think, you know, within that, I think, you, you know, when you're managing people, you can often delegate these things. And I think rugby isn't really like that. I do think if you want to implement your ideas, you've got to get out there and meet the guys. Um, and you got to... Guys and girls, excuse me. And you You've got to, you know, try and implement a game plan and some of the idea, you know, some of your idealistic approach to the game. You've got to try and imprint that from the ground up and get everyone on, you know, singing off the same hymn sheet. Uh, and that's something that Joe Schmidt does really, really well. And I think that's something that Conor O'Shea should do well given his background, uh, especially in, in that he dealt with the academies in, in, in England as well as the, the stuff he did with Harlequins. And you can see the young nucleus of guys that he got in there. So. That's what's really important for those guys. And I think, you know, happy to see them doing that because we need Italy to be strong. We need them to be taking more than one one victory a year, um, you know, if even that, in the Six Nations. Yeah, I guess when we had John at the start of the season, Rory, it was a bit kind of doom and gloom about the state of the league overall after the South African teams didn't put up much of a fight in the first two weeks. But now, you know, here we are after five match days. The Cheetahs have had a few big wins. The Italian teams are taking scalps. So, are we feeling a bit more positive overall about the Pro 14? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the fact that the Cheetahs are, are performing is, is really positive. I think the Kings have a long way to go. I'd like to see a few more people at the games in South Africa, but I guess the results will hopefully lift that. I think any time you've got 42,000 in a stadium for a league game, you probably have a pretty full Ravenhill. That's going to be a pretty, uh, pretty exciting weekend to look forward to. And this is, you know, hopefully then that pushes on and we get good results from the Pro 14 teams in Europe, you know, we leave those days where it looked like it was going to be an Anglo-French domination behind. You know that that all feeds into it, and 
the problem is it's those weeks where there's not where you know during November when all the internationals are away and no, and, and no one's really paying attention. But that's that's a bigger picture problem. When the league is good, it's great. That that Clinetley, uh defeat to Ulster up in in, in Kingspan Stadium was brilliant. That was a great game, great advertisement for the league. The way the Cheetahs are playing is really entertaining, and hopefully we get two really good derbies this weekend, a couple of good games in Wales, and we can build from there. You sold me. Looking forward to this weekend <laughs> now, Luke. Uh, so, what are your predictions for the two the two big derbies? Um, looking at recent history, um, and I think you know fairly tight in that Munster Leinster. Uh, kind of crazy. obviously Munster have won the last one but I don't know if that's a fair reflection on anything to be honest because there was such an odd Leinster team uh, selected for what was a huge match I think Leinster's recent history at the Viva Stadium would probably lend me to go with them I think Rory made some good points earlier on about you know obviously you know Johnny Sexton makes a huge difference to any team he's in he's probably the best 10 um, in, in, in Europe uh, if not well I'm going to say Bowden Barrett might be slightly ahead possibly possibly I think that's a pretty tight race Johnny but like that. I think he makes <laughs> I think he makes a big big difference to any team he's in um, and I'd say off the back of that I, I'd go with Leinster Tony Ward said he needs to smile more during the week yeah I don't know like, yeah I I don't even know what to say to that, uh, to be <laughs> honest. Um, Tony's entitled to his opinion, but I don't know. I've been watching, I've been playing against Johnny for 15, 20 years nearly, and uh, that's just Johnny's personality, you know. Like, at times, could he do that better? Yeah, maybe he could relax slightly more. But then there's loads of times when I say, geez, it's great that Johnny's so competitive and he's driving people on and, and this personality of his is you a driving wanna, force. You don't want to take away Johnny Sexton's edge. No, like, and that's, that's, that's one of the things at the fixture that's yeah, great. Yeah. Watch Johnny and he'll be niggling. Guys will be trying to hit him late. He'll be niggling guys. Yeah. Like that. That's one of the things we love about it. Yeah. Uh, that's what makes the fixture what it but is. But even if, I know we were we kind of covered this earlier, but like obviously the days of Sexton shouting in O'Gara's face, you could never imagine anyone doing anything remotely similar today. Well, they should be trying to like compete. Like I mean, look, maybe it you know, maybe that's not how it's going to. Like, should Jack Connolly be screaming and yeah. see standing in his face if he scores a try? I don't know, but I I look, he should be Joe's... trying to smash him every time he gets a chance. He should I be trying. All to... of Joe's, Joe's voice in her head, like, <laughs> yeah. what, what, would, oh, think... what would Joe think if he did that? And that's 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 smart. You got to think that way because he's not. Yeah. He's watching. He's watching. He's going to splice it up. He's going to watch it every different way. He will. He will see. He'll have a package on every player. They know that he's watching. And you you got to perform well without going over the top because we know what Joe Joe wants. But it's wants smart. It's smart. Like I mean, look, that's Joe. Joe looks at the tiny edges. He knows in a given game. He thinks if his team all have this focus on you know not reacting to anything, not being not doing silly things like celebrating tries, not doing not giving you know guff to different guys at different scenarios, not wasting time, not annoying the referee. That it's probably worth one or two penalties to him a game minimum. Yeah. And he feels like that's a that's a great edge to have. I mean, I see loads of teams and they love a bit of niggle and they're like, yeah, let's get into them. And I'm saying, you're a complete waste of energy. Um, and, and you're just, all you're doing is annoying the referee. And I feel like doing those kind of things and doing silly off the ball things, like I always feel like that's the reason why Ireland and Joe Schmidt's teams are consistently very successful. That's a little edge he has nearly on every single coach. Rory, final prediction for Leinster Munster? Uh, I think Leinster will win because it's their tight five will will dominate. I think they'll get the more from from football. So I think they'll uh, with Johnny guiding them around the place, they'll uh, they'll just have the edge. And I echo that sentiment. Thanks so much to Rory for joining us. Thank you. And I'm now delighted to be joined in studio by Stephen Smith, CEO of Kitman Labs and former head of rehabilitation for Leinster Rugby. Thanks for coming in, Steve. No worries. Thanks, mate, for you having can me. Can ask him, by the way, who's going to win? The Leinster Munster. You can't. Rory will give us an honest answer. I'll try because I have to now, but he's Leinster through and through. So zero point in, in, in going down that route, Will. Well, we all tip Leinster anyway. So I, <laughs> really, we did, we did. But he wasn't going to say Munster ever. So Yeah, we have two We have two clients going head to head and I wish both of them the oh, best. Oh, there you go. Oh, sorry, actually, it was yeah. impartial. Yeah, I didn't even yeah. realise. So Very corporate answer. I like yeah. it. Listen, uh, just for, for myself, uh, Stevie's a, a pal. And a guy I spent a huge amount of time in Leinster with because he was head of rehabilitation in Leinster when I was there. His biggest fail case, arguably. <laughs> or, or his biggest success story. I don't know. He was gone when I finished, so I don't know. Maybe it was him. Maybe that was the reason I had to finish. But Stevie, great to have you in studio uh, on a very interesting journey, Will, which we're yeah, going to try and... Ju just to set the scene, I guess, for the listener, Steve. Uh, so from what I've gathered now, this is from my research, your company, I guess, specializes in injury kind of prediction and prevention true analysis software that they can kind of monitor the body movements of players and from that they can see if the player might 
get injured in a certain way in the future? Is that something in the ballpark? Yeah, we're close. We're close. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sounded uh, pretty good to me. Anyway. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> well, look, I think look where, where we. I think this will be really interesting. This is an area that, that I love. I'm sure Will 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 find this really interesting. But if if you're into your sports. Stevie will, will probably get into a little bit of, you know, where, how, how far Kitman now span across in terms of all the different sports and all the different inf- bits of information they get from different sports to help stop, you know, stop people getting injured is one of the functions, obviously. But I think this, if you're a sports nut, this is a really interesting one for, for me personally. I'm going to be listening to, I'm going to be listening as intently, hopefully, as the <laughs> listeners are to Stevie, to be honest. Yeah, so maybe just break it down for us about what Kitman does do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, so we we essentially were a sports science technology company. We supply a, a sports science analytics platform to teams. And what that really means when you break it down is that, you know, you, you probably see it today. These guys run around on the field with these pods in their back and everybody, every, every now and again, you see a GA player throwing them across the field. Like, <laughs> and, uh, we wonder, what are they doing with that? Well... You know, essentially, that's, expensive kid. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an expensive weapon in the middle of a game like that. But um, you know, there's there's a masses of data that comes from devices like that. There's testing devices that are used within the gym. There's testing devices that are used in the physio room. There's a mass of data that's collected from the athletes every day. And this sounds really exciting. And uh, you know, if you listen to any of the marketing jargon or sales tools that these companies will tell you about how fantastic that uh, does. <laughs> is that, that not what you're supposed is. to be doing, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> that is what uh, we like to bring a very scientific edge to. Uh, is that like what do you do with that I mean the journey we went on in Leinster when when I first joined like as an intern back in 2007 you know during the the Magners League successful season um there was very little being collected. In fact, I think there was there was a bit of strength data being collected here and there, and everything. Like what? How much you bench press well, and stuff you, like that? You, yeah. did, you did a bit of that. I think you like we had a, a few kind of benchmark exercises to test. Maybe like they might video video you doing maybe three or four different exercises. See how your body moved. You know, doing different movements. Or say like with a plank over your head, doing a deep squat. You know, see how your hips move. See how your shoulders move. Um, you know, so they were, they were, it was really starting off on the journey there, Stevie, wasn't it? Just beginning like that. And, and I suppose there was a lot of conversation. So you have to, you have to remember as well, like technology wasn't what it was. The iPhone wasn't out. You know, it was a completely different world even. And it's only 10 years ago. And, uh, at that point in time, Leinster were trying to be very forward thinking and very innovative and they wanted to improve the dialogue with players. So it was very conversational in that, how are you feeling today? How's, what's your recovery like? What's your sleep quality like? How sore were you? And the first step for us was to digitize that. So instead of just going and having the conversation and you know you have 30 minutes in the morning, you have 40 players, you might maybe get to 10 of them and you don't know what's going on with the other 30 and you can't use that information to prove what they're doing. We started to actually document that. We actually had very specific questions. The players come in in the morning, they ran through a little form, and we got that information. And then immediately we were able to say, these are the four guys that we every need to day. have a chat with. Every day. Mm. Every day, yeah. The consistency with the information is kind of a key thing as well, isn't it? I, 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 like, look, obviously we're delving into your territory here now, but you know, anytime you're, you're doing this, I mean, to, to understand and to see kind of different, um, I suppose, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, when you're trying to find, not, not when you're trying to find little chinks in people's routines that occur daily and you're trying to say, look, actually, I recognize this pattern. Can we now stop what this What sort guy? of thing do you mean? What, like, well, what? say if you have a bad sleep is probably the most basic place to start, Steve, Absolutely. isn't it? So like if you have a bad sleep, like, and Steve will probably give you some, some of the numbers or maybe not, depending on, on, on if you've gone down that route. I've actually, we, we lost touch on this a while ago. <laughs> but I know for one of the things is that we would have a scale when you come in and say, look, how good did you sleep out of 10? And you say, <laughs> and it sounds like a really basic it thing, Will, but think about how much sleep affects everything that you do. You're more tired, your reaction times are slower. Um, oftentimes you might be more dehydrated if you've you know had a more restless sleep, lots of different things like that. So all these things contribute to that. So you'll have a score out of 10 and basically based off what your score is, they'll say, well, look, do you know what? 10 of those guys, you know, whenever they record five or, you know, five on their sleep, maybe 10 guys do it. Usually with one of those guys that maybe start, you know, get pulls a hamstring or it does, you know, an area where they have recurrent injuries, they actually, that's the day they have the recurring injury. And that's, I, I assume, is that is that a decent that's platform? That's the kind of stuff that's, you were looking for. That's exactly it. I actually think that maybe me and Luke will have a chat about it. About <laughs> getting him in a sales role afterwards. But that, that's exactly the type of thing that we're looking at. So trying to understand, okay, well, we know that he's had a poor sleep. Um, we know that today we want him to get in the gym and we want to work on some leg strength or some leg power stuff. And then we want to get him out in the field and train him in the afternoon as well and get him ready for the game. And we know that, okay, well, maybe now there's an increase in risk. We also know maybe his performance is actually 
going to be terrible in the gym this morning, so is there actually any reason to do it? Do we swap it around? Does he do something else? Does he go home and have a sleep and come back in for the rugby? Because at the end of the day, he's paid to throw the ball around, not to lift weights. And does he come in does tomorrow and do that kind of stuff happen often? Absolutely. It happens every day. I mean, there's a, there's a percentage of players every day that their schedule is different. They might have to go out and do a top-up and do more. They might have to do a little bit less. And um, was there a buy-in from the coaches? Because obviously the old-school mentality would be like, I don't give up. F if you're tired or not get out in the effing field or get into the effing gym that is a continuous fight I would say across every sport and Steve would be able to give us more of an insight into that but what you need is you just need someone to start out on the journey. And I think if you're a guy who's interested in facts and if you're a pragmatic person, like I suppose Michael Checa was, uh, to a certain extent, I'm sure he was, that like, you know, you know, guys like that, they want the information. They feel like more information arms you better to make better decisions all the time. And I think that's, you know, you look at some of the old school coaches and, and they'll fall down there. If they don't catch, if they don't, if they don't board that train, that, that kind of digital or technolo- technological kind of train, they will get left behind and you just cannot not understand uh, what's going on in that field at the moment. 100%. Like, Czech absolutely loved that. He drove mm. us towards that. And actually, when, you know, the 2008 season was over, actually, we started to collect more and we collected in different ways. We formulated more questions off the back of now having some data and our data set size started to grow. And actually, we were the first Northern Hemisphere team back in 2008 to actually use GPS technology. So the devices that you see... Is that StatSports, Steve? I was trying to remember this the other day. Was it StatSports we started off It was with? actually StatSports, yeah, that we started with back then. Yeah. Um, and so you would have been there to start when maybe this stuff wasn't being done. What did, how did you find it as a player? Did it, did you really feel like it did give you an edge? We absolutely loved it. I mean, I suppose like what you, the information that you're, uh, and that there's a whole journey as well as to what, so you get all this information and Stevie's talking, he's touched a little bit. There's so much information, 50 guys coming in every day, training all the time. And I suppose trying to figure out, do you know what? That's really relevant. Or do you know what? Maybe that's not so important. There's a whole journey to go on there. And it's yeah. amazing. That's a big difference that I saw with is that like, you know, your usual things like your weight, you know, you know, whatever it is, your all your joints, how you're moving, all those kind of things. They, they're all kind of things that, yeah, they make sense to do. But it's the other things. It's like, so we started tracking how far you're running a game. But some of those people had terrible games or they or they made no... That's so like then they start point. saying, oh, do you know what? Actually, who has the biggest height, you know... Um, the you know so they worked out okay well, when the person is working in this range so like you have your GPS data which tracks how fast you run if this guy is hitting this this top end speed a certain amount of times in a game or in a range say like 80% of his top speed he's working really hard now we know this guy and that's that was the journey it's not just when I was there one of the big things I know is it's not oh this guy ran 10k it's like geez this guy had you know, whatever, five or six minutes in and, a game and, and that he was running who, at 80% who, or higher. Who kind of decided or, or kind of started honing in on specific things? Would that have been you guys or would it have been the management or a combination of both? Scientists, no, it, was, it was us, yeah. That, yeah. that was our side, of, our side of the house. And I think what happened at the start was, listen, we had all the data. We, we came from having nothing to basically having thousands of data points every day and we got massively excited. And then a couple months later, we were like, it's too much on <laughs> the way to <laughs> yeah. start. What the hell are we doing here? Like, what is this telling us anything at all? And... Uh, then I think we kind of stood back from it a little bit and said, okay, well, listen, what are we trying to achieve here? Like, are we trying to improve performance? Are we trying to understand injury risk? And we started to actually get smarter and we decided, okay, well, if we're trying to understand injury risk, well, we have to link the two data sources together. And basically we collected our medical records, we collected the GPS data, we linked the two together and said, okay, well, like Luke said, 50% of the time when you run more than this amount of distance over a month, you break simple as that and that was the germ basically that started the whole concept of kitman labs and how it came about because we you know we answered a really really tough question and okay listen you can't predict it's not a prediction tool we don't say that you know this guy's going to go out and pull it today but if we can say he's a 10 percent risk or he's a 30 percent risk or he's a 40 percent risk now we can inform some really really smart decisions and that absolutely improves how you deal with people every single day and what the end product in terms of the athlete that, that ends up out in the field looks like. It strikes me that this is something that Joe Schmidt would really enjoy as someone who, you know, really take to it. Yeah, yeah. well, look, look, I think, you know, he's really, like, he's one of those coaches who, you know, has really said, look, I can get an edge here. This is an area he feels like, you know, if I can understand, you know, the good data points that, that Stevie's talking about there, if I can understand which ones are really important for, you know, to help me on the weekend against another team, or if I can get all my best players on the pitch more often than the other coaches because I manage the sessions well, this is, you know, yeah. this is a big advantage for me, you know, and yeah. I think that's what you have to realise as a coach. You can't stay behind the game. This is If you yeah. don't understand this stuff and if you don't place importance on it well, 
you're going to get left behind. Simple as. One thing you mentioned a few weeks ago on a different show, and I found interesting, was that you said that uh, like that you'd be monitored during training, and if you've run a certain amount in training, they would just whip you off, even if you were training really, really well. It's really frustrating. You could be feeling like 100%. And uh, I tell you, I felt a few times I felt like making a call over to Stevie. <laughs> say, Stevie, what is going on here? Uh, but look, it, it look those things are it's smart. You're playing the percentages. At the end of the day, you know, even from a business perspective, like you want to make you want to, the, the more often that you get your player on the pitch the more bang you get for your book well, we Simple did some, some research actually across the nfl the nba major league baseball the nhl to actually do to showcase exactly that because we had a belief that actually if you have more players available you win more games and actually what we found is if you look at just the days lost for a team just the total number of days that they lose and relate it back to wins and losses it tells you nothing and the reason it does that is that when you just look at days lost, you basically treat every athlete like they're the same. And unfortunately, in every team, every athlete's not the same. They're superstar athletes. You talked about Johnny Sexton. When Johnny Sexton's not playing for Leinster, absolutely, there's a different percentage in terms of their possibility, in terms of whether they're going to win a game or not. Yeah. And what we did instead then was we decided, okay, well, in, in the US market and in some of the European markets, there's a salary cap in place. So generally, when there's a salary cap in place, the best talent gets paid the most amount of money. So we decided, okay, well, listen, base, you know, performance, essentially, probably base salary is probably a good surrogate for performance. So what we decided to do was look at, let's look at the total amount of money a team puts out on a field over a year. So not how much they spend. So if they spend 100 million on their player salaries and 20 million of that sits on the bench throughout the year in injuries, they have 80 million available. And we correlated that with wins and losses and actually found in the NFL, there's an 89% relationship with the, just solely the amount of money you put in the field and the number of games you win. That's phenomenal. And then what that allows us to do off the back Got me hooked here now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, it's amazing. Like, that, that then allows us to understand, okay, well, if you have $20 million worth of injuries, how many wins does that take away from your possibility? And then what you can do further to that is you can say, well, this is the, these are the types of injuries that are affecting us. If we can reduce four hamstring injuries, that buys us three more wins. That is amazing. Well, that, that point there is interesting because it relates to the question I asked you about being whipped off in training because you mentioned that, you know, your friend Ian Madigan's obviously over in France and they have nothing like that. They just go out and they run around training and no matter how much they run or how little they run, they're just out there being flogged pretty well, much. He's in Wales now. <laughs> <laughs> well, England. Yeah, England, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, but yeah, look, that's... And, and I think if you look at... Um, how France have possibly, well, I, I think it's fair to say how they've regressed. I think, um, especially on the international scene, aside from the diluting of their game in terms of all the foreign, you know, the foreign, I suppose, explosion uh, in top 14, just from talking to the players over there, they don't place the same emphasis on this. And it's, and it's, it's exactly what I said earlier on. Those coaches haven't got on the technological train. They just they are just, they're way behind. They don't place any emphasis on it. And if they have it in the setups, they don't use it correctly. And, it's, and that's why you talk to any of the guys, ask Johnny Sex and ask people who talk to the French guys, they are doing two a days the day before a game. Or they might do two or three of them a week before a game. We would never do that. And that's why a team like us, who's a tiny playing population compared to them, are beating them now regularly enough. Yeah, I mean, like for us to look across, so today as, as a company, we work across 29 different leagues globally on five different continents, and we're pretty much in every single one of the big rugby leagues. And actually, we've the least number of clients from a rugby perspective in the top 14 versus Premiership Rugby, Pro 14, Super Rugby. Like, and it's Doesn't actually amazing. Me. Doesn't it's, surprise me, yeah. No, it's, it's, they've a weird kind of... Yeah, uh, what do you think that's down to having dealt with all the different leagues? They're very traditional about what they do. And I think, you know, there's some interesting things if you look at some of the leagues. So the French, I'm going to say they're slightly different because I think it's actually very, very cultural, cultural. But if you look at some of the other leagues and if you compare, let's say you know, rugby over here in Ireland or, you know, AFL in Australia to, let's say, the NFL or the NBA or in leagues like that, we actually, we, we thought, you know, back in 2007, 2008, we were way behind. These American teams have $100 million budget, $200 million budgets. They're, they're far more advanced than us. Actually, they're not. They're years behind where Do we're at. Do you still find that? Absolutely. Some of them are where we were at in 2007. Some of them are not even there yet. Really? Jesus. It's, it's yeah. fascinating. And the reason for it, if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. We had a tiny amount of resources. We'd, we'd in back in 2007 or eight didn't even have the same budget that a lower division college team in the US would have for football. We had probably have 20% of what a normal collegiate team's budget was. And then we were competing with, say, Claremont, who had five or six times that. Or we were, you know, we had to be efficient. We had to be so smart about what we did because we couldn't buy another player. You don't player. have the player group, yeah, no. so you're kind of forced to so, adapt. Yeah, yeah so how, yeah, yeah. we have to be so smart about how we manage them because we have what we have. Over there, you break them, you'd go and spend another $10 million and pull someone else in. 
That's, yeah, that's really interesting. And how did so you... just throw money at the problem, like... <laughs> yeah. 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 It's really interesting, um, yeah. But how did you come out the decision then to leave Leinster and go out on your own with Kitman Labs? Yeah, it was a it was a really hard um, decision. If if I'm perfectly honest with you, I think I'm delighted with it now, and I absolutely I wouldn't couldn't see myself doing anything else. I I love it, but at the time, um, you know, I, I started the company whilst I was still working at Leinster. Had a couple of people working at the company building it, and I was kind of consulting in the evenings and weekends and things like that because I, I didn't want to leave Leinster. We'd achieved so much together as a group. It was such a special, it was a special group, wasn't it? it? Was. Yeah, it was a special group. It felt like definitely. a family, and and it still does. You know, when I get back now, I probably see some of the lads more than I see my family. Who which is probably a terrible thing to say. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it kind of yeah. it built up like that. And, um, you know, it, it was really, really special. And then we, we got this, uh, this, this incredible guy, a guy called John Malloy, who um, runs a very, very successful investment firm in the U.S., uh, made an offer to us to uh, purchase a, a stakeholding in the company for $4 million. But part of the deal was that I needed to leave Leinster and commit to the business full time. And he was putting a lot on the line in terms of money. And, and I suppose I, I felt that it was only right to do that. And I sat at home for a couple of weeks and chatted about, <coughs> you know, is this something that I want to do? And, you know, it, there's a lot of risk involved. I love what I'm doing. I could have seen myself doing it forever. And I think ultimately came down to, what if I don't do this? Will I look back for the rest of my life and, and have a massive amount of regrets about not going and actually taking an opportunity? Not many people get an opportunity like that to chase their own dream. And, it, you know, this concept for this business and where it wanted to go was really my vision for a long period of time. And you know what? It's been absolutely amazing. And you find the change, like, do you enjoy... Because I presume there's, like, I mean, uh, you, you haven't really... I mean, obviously, there's, there's parts of it. You, you, you touch somewhere you're involved in lots of different sports all across the world. And I'm sure there's a huge amount of travel with that and, and there's difficulties with that. But do you really love going and selling something that is yours? I mean, it must be unbelievably exciting. Oh, listen, I like I wake up every morning and I cannot wait to start. And really? I think well, that's, that's you're lucky, man. People. You're lucky, yeah, yeah. Not many people you talk to have that type of you know satisfaction out of what they do. And walking in and now like signing that agreement that we recently announced with the UFC. So now we're contracted to work with every UFC fighter across the planet. And like, can you get a few of them to stop getting injured before the fights? Well, that, that, this, is, this is the idea. <laughs> they do need to sort that out. Something fierce, like well, it's unbelievable. How many times you see a really good fight, and the guy pulls out or the girl pulls out the night before? You're saying it's um, like Paige it's, Van Zandt, I think the last event pulled out the, like the day before. Like they need you more than, more than any other sport that I that I know of. Well, why I'm fascinated by it is that right, they they have a they have a very interesting business in that the athletes don't actually work for the UFC. There's there's subcontractors. They, contract. Yeah, basically yeah, yeah. they contract to show up and actually these guys promote their fights. So there's no responsibility on the UFC to do anything. But they've made a decision that they want to invest in their athletes and they want to ensure that they can get those people to games. And they're, It damages um, the show though. Of personally, it Obviously of from their perspective. Yeah. Like it's so damaging to do. Like how many times have you gone, I cannot wait to watch this fight and the person doesn't show up. You're saying, yeah. geez, it must be so frustrating even from a promoter's perspective. You can see, like, Dana White, like, every time he says, like, some, you know, idiot is after doing something crazy the week <laughs> of a fight, and you're saying, like, he must be, obviously he's no hair to pull out, but if he did, I'm sure he'd be pulling it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just before we, we go into that deal, just so, when you go out to, like, the UFC or to one of these teams, what exactly are you selling? You're selling your operating system to, to monitor these things. Exactly, yeah. So we, you know, the data that comes out of that device, that gets ingested into our system, you know, some of the movement data, all the medical data, you know, it's basically all of the data they collect about the activities and demands they place on an athlete and then how that athlete is responding day to day, that all goes into our system. And, and are you then, doing the video stuff now, Stevie? Sorry to cut across you there. You're yeah. doing so, because yeah. when I started, so we had a few little points. So you had somewhere where you, you lock in your kind of hip and you do a rotation, like you place your knee in a point, you do a rotation to test your hip rotation. You say like, okay, my hip rotation is down a bit today. I'll do a bit of stretch and I'll see how I get on. And if it, if it works out, you know, to a certain, to, to my, where I usually can stretch it out to with a bit of stretching or whatever you do then I'm able to train or you know you have it, something on your shoulder where you'll have a, you know a guide on you I don't know if you can't I don't know if we're on video tonight but you can kind of you, you'll rotate your shoulder you pin your elbow to a wall and you rotate your shoulder is it all that kind of stuff still yeah still, so you're we're kind of testing in, those ranges and stuff we'll take anything that a team essentially is collecting we provide them with a framework of tools so they're to gather that so many teams collect like range of motion data like that from specific joints some teams collect like movement quality data about how you actually move we actually have a really cool product that uses a depth sensor and basically without wearing using any wearables or sensors it actually detects your skeletal locations and then as you're moving it basically captures all of that information digitizes it and then tells us 
hey, there's something actually quite different about the way you're moving today. And then a physio can go and have a look at that, check it out, see what's going on. And then, you know, move I think I did forward. this in camp. Did I see the first starts of the, the kind of prototype? Maybe an Irish camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you yeah. do, you sit down in a chair and obviously in Ireland camp, they, they test the range of motion yeah. for your kind of hips and stuff. But you actually sit in front of this camera now I'll try and use layman's terms here. <laughs> I'll dumb it down because it's all I can do. Um, but you're kind of sitting in a chair and you're rotating different things. And as Stevie said, this camera is picking up your like your skeleton. So as soon as you sit down, it picks up your skeleton and then you move these joints a certain way and the camera goes, oh, okay, actually, look, his left leg isn't working so well. And then it sends a message in to wherever the, yeah. the, the system which then, obviously, as Stevie said, they just, you know, the physio says, oh, you know, you need to have a look at this guy, see if he's okay. This area is a bit of a flag. So very interesting to see how that goes. I mean, I mean, is there any sports, by the way, outside of rugby that you find really interesting that was like, oh, wow, that was, I didn't know that, or I didn't know that was going to be, as you talked earlier on, a data point or an area of interest that I was like, oh, that's interesting. I know, well, listen, I never saw us working in mixed martial arts. <laughs> I didn't I didn't think that that was going to be something that we would actually embark on, and now it's one of the most interesting sports. I actually went along to the McGregor-Diaz I, I was supposed to pop along. I was yeah. actually had something on. I remember I got the invite. I was absolutely disgusted. Yeah, I actually uh, thought he was going to lose that one. I was, it, yeah. it, was, it was incredible. Glad when he didn't, of course, but yeah. Uh, do you have to go out and then kind of tailor your operating systems to fit these other sports then? Or do you, so do you do that after you get in touch with a company or do you just tailor it before? Or how does that work? So um, basically at the, at the very beginning of the life cycle of the company, it was very fixated and it was, this is, it is what it is. Now that, you know, we're five years, actually, we're five, tomorrow we're five years into the journey. So when this goes actually out, we're actually, it's our fifth, our fifth anniversary tomorrow. Happy, um, happy birthday, yeah. yeah. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now the system is actually very flexible and configurable. So we, you know, for some teams who are very early in their life cycle, like I was back in 2007, you basically you can take a very small package that basically automates and makes it as easy as one two three and for then the guys who were where we were at at 2014-15 leaving that are really advanced it looks like you know a completely different thing and it's all quite configurable so we can walk into a team and say this is what you want this is these are the pieces and we basically can configure it on site like that like literally we had we signed a new NHL team a couple of weeks ago um, the New York Islanders who are like super group people are they testing like teeth rotation like, <laughs> 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 every, every one of those guys I've seen has not a tooth left <laughs> <laughs> they're beautiful they're beautiful human beings but what was amazing about this was that we went to go get on site to actually roll these guys out and train them and we had one of our, our sports scientists who actually used to work for Leicester Tigers as a head of sports science is based over in California with me he got on the plane to fly from uh, San Francisco to New York to roll these guys out and train them and he basically built their system on the flight using like the Wi-Fi on an airplane which blows my mind that number one he can do it on the airplane and that like the wi-fi was strong enough but also <laughs> secondly that we've got to that level of maturity as a company that we can configure a very very complex account for a really cool customer just like that and so when you like say get a new team like the islanders and you sell them a package if they want something more advanced do you sell them a second package like is that how you guys Absolutely. make your money like so it's yeah. not just a one-off thing they you keep oh, tweaking oh they, they get you Will. they get yeah. you yeah. <laughs> I was wondering we once, you, once you like the info they just pull you back yeah, in exactly. it's like a godfather scenario <laughs> we're crack dealers we're the crack dealers <laughs> of the software world yeah. but look I, look, it's so interesting the other sports um, you know and is there any athletes that really stand out to you as being this is probably, probably a personal because I'm not sure anyone else will find this interesting but any athletes you go wow they are like above and beyond impressive yeah. a AFL athletes Really, I've heard that. What amazing. are the distances like? The running distances. I've 14, heard they're incredible. Fourteen to fifteen kilometers a game. These guys will run, and like during the week in training as well. Like they'll probably do that. Through, like they'll cover somewhere between uh, somewhere around maybe sixty kilometers a week, like that, Just and high not, speed. It, at, at pretty at pretty decent paces because they have like they used to have unlimited rotations they don't anymore so they but they get very very high speeds and what's what's really interesting about them is that so you could look at that and go yeah well anybody can be trained to do 60 kilometers a week you could be a long distance runner and that's that's absolutely true but these guys are powerhouses these guys have are very very strong they're incredibly skillful they're ridiculously fit they're probably they're, they are definitely the and best it's very different doing well, like d decent distances and speeds but like chopping like top, like you know, like soccer players can do the the turning on the quick turns, and they can do big distances because they're they're tiny. Like you know, what I mean, they're yeah. small guys. I mean, you got you get a few freaks like a Ronaldo or whoever who's like whatever six two or three, but yeah. most of them are kind of you know between you know you nearly say five six and five ten like as a yeah. as a tall footballer, but those guys are like all six two six three six even even taller at times aren't they yeah and you bring them in you brought them into the Lancer change room and stood them beside some of the lads in there in terms of the, like the physique and the size of them like they wouldn't look out of shape like, would they, they be look... lighter though they'd have to be lighter some, some, like, there's guys that are 100 to 110 kilos really? in, that, in those leagues like they're, they're big men and, and how do you compare those running distances I know Gaelic okay, football's played at like a, obviously not, not for as long yeah. what are the what are the 
running distances anyway kind of similar? The So the running distances in, in GAA are smaller because the time is different. But yeah. also what's what's very different than the GAA is that um, the, the amount of time that they spend above like say 60 or 70% of their max kind of speed in, in AFL is ridiculous. Really? They, is really? Oh my God. And they, because they all play different positions as well. The field is, is, is oh, huge. The field is massive. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's an unbelievably high tempo um, in, in comparison. Uh, but that said, like, GA for like an amateur sport. I'm like, because I watch that and I think like, unbelievable. They are unbelievable yeah, athletes. Yeah, because obviously, like, the amateurs training like professionals, when you look oh, at them... Oh, but they are. Yeah, those guys yeah, are savage. What, athletes, in your opinion, you know, from a sports science perspective, like, what do you see when you look at those kind of guys? Yeah, they're as good as any professional we see. Like, they, they would do more work, more physical conditioning work than a premiership soccer player would, and they go to work during the day. It's amazing That's what they unbelievable. do. unbelievable, yeah. Thanks so much for coming in, Steve. Really appreciate it. Yeah, not at all. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having you in, Stevie boy. <laughs> <laughs> good to see you in a different, uh, different capacity with Very the good. business head on and the science head on. Well, I saw the science said a little bit but uh i was usually pushing and shoving like taking orders so it's a little bit different to be asking you the questions you were this usually time. giving out if we're honest <laughs> correct <laughs> uh, he was part-time psychiatrist as well kept me, kept, kept me going but listen cv thanks a million for coming on really appreciate it for like i said earlier on for any sports nuts out there um interested to see where the tech i suppose the technology side of it is going and where it's helping teams get an edge or you know where it's helping individuals stay stay fit and healthy and perform at their best this should be a really interesting podcast. And that's all we have time for this week on The Left Wing. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week for a Champions Cup preview. Until then, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye.